0: The problem is, you want me to pause. No, it's like if I'm if I'm saying something, you never shut the hell up (laughs) long enough for me then to launch into my thing. So I just gotta launch into it. Listen, listen, it's very simple. If if I'm talking, stop talking. If
1: if I'm talking out my yin yang, you need to know that give it at least two seconds. Yin yang, give it at least two seconds between when I stop talking and you start. Do you stop talking? Eventually, I will. If if you stop answering me back.
0: I'm Rob. And I'm Artie. And welcome to Tradesplaining. We're not just a podcast about trade. Well, okay, actually we are, but we do add a few dad jokes and talk to some cool people who know what they're talking about along the way.
1: Rob will approach us from the perspective of a seasoned, middle-aged middle manager. Emphasis on middle-aged. Thanks, Artie. You're welcome. And me from the perspective of somebody who's actually cool. Sigh.
0: In any case, we're delighted to have with us for this episode Ziang Fan, the trade tech guru from the World Economic Forum, to talk to us about how tech is changing trade.
1: And as always, we'll have the usual news roundup, information on the duck population in Lake Geneva, and disturbing news on new competing podcasts. So without further ado, let's get into it. Let's start off by introducing the hate mail segment, which has become a ritual, especially as we're getting more of it. I think this is somehow a sign of success. We're we're doing something right. Definitely. As Donald Trump said, if any publicity is good publicity.
0: (laughs) We still have to talk about that guy?
1: No, we don't. But what else are we going to talk about? Actually, no, this is literally a memo that every news organization in the U.S. said. Don't. What do we talk about now?
0: Yeah, that's exactly. From every editor to every anchor. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Anyway. One of our fans was disappointed with last episode's attempt at humor. I mean, it wasn't really an attempt because we succeeded. It was humorous. Regarding the Capitol riot, he wasn't too happy about the fact that it was a quite serious subject, which we were making light of. On one hand, he was right. It's a serious situation. However, me and Rob both alternated between being disgusted and worried that this level of non-dialogue in the U.S. is continuing. And we felt sort of enough seriousness had been um, evoked in talking about it that us adding Another serious discussion, five minutes, would not really add much to the conversation. And so a joke or two would be needed to bring some perspective and and maybe levity to the situation. It's true we are far away, and for some it was too soon. However, I think as an American expat, I tend to watch more news now or be more plugged into the news than people even I know back home. And I think in some weird way this gives me a bit of a, a different perspective on what's going on. As I said, I'm not living in it every day. I was just back back in the U.S. last week. And so I think this also,
0: as I said, this does give a bit of perspective.
1: I don't know what you think, Rob.
0: Yeah, no, Artie, I agree with you. I do think there are funny sides to this. I think it's important to release the tension with making light of it. And we've seen a lot of good humor around it. But it was very disturbing. I think both of us were disturbed by it, uh, not only by the act itself, but by the very divided way it's seen. And I think maybe that's dissipated a little bit with the inauguration, with the new administration coming on board. But the impeachment is, is simply a reinforcement of that. So, yes, it is a serious situation. And I, I think we both are quite worried about the, the, the lack of ability to somehow find even a baseline that uh, both sides agree on. So I think we, we take it on board, the comment. And we will continue to maybe be a little edgy in our humor. But that's not to say we don't understand the seriousness, the catastrophe, really, that took place.
1: No, I agree. And I, again, just to reinforce everybody, we try not to be a political podcast. So let's, we should reinforce that again. We will give our analysis on things as we see them as American expats, particularly in these, in these trying times. We try to be as neutral as we can about it. But part of that is also making a few jokes
0: along the way and being satirical about it, really. So I hope that answers this fan's question. Yeah, and that people are more than encouraged to come back to us. Let us know when we hit a false note. Also, we accept positive. Mostly the positive. That does does come through it sometimes. The other one we got was a complaint from one of our prior participants in the podcast who said, if you're going to cold open somebody, identify who they are.
1: But that would take attention away from us. That would not be about us. Why would we I don't want that. think we would
0: do that. <laughs> I don't want that. That's a stupid <laughs> suggestion. Yeah. So thank you for that. Thank that. Thanks uh, for I nothing. Thank that listener. Thanks for nothing. For that input. Wasting I don't think she's going to listen to this podcast. 30,
1: 30 seconds. be fine. 30 seconds of reading <laughs> of my life that I'll never get back. Thanks. Cut.
0: Well, Artie, it's time to get into our discussion of interesting trade news. Later, as you know, we'll talk to Xiang Fan on trade tech. So in order to kind of support that, we've had our eye out for developments on tech services and other things. Yeah, I think it's, it's a cool discussion
1: we've got this week. It's important to note that this is also highly relevant for people who are not in trade specifically and who are just interested in what's going on in the tech sector
0: globally. Yeah, hard to separate the effects on trade from the effects on, let's say, life and business in general.
1: Yeah, And we're not just saying that because that also reinforces the need for our job. Please push like. Yeah, hit that
0: like button. Smash that like button, as they say. <laughs> so one of the things I think is relevant is the development of a tech underclass. And we see this in the reporting of Nikkei Asia. And I guess it's it's in the category, I know we're starting one, which is Baldwin was right. So far, I haven't been fired, so it wasn't right about that yet. <laughs> and uh, COVID accelerates trends. So the, the indication is that there's a kind of underclass developing. And this underclass comes, I guess, in many ways through e-commerce. So it's been a hugely successful model in Asia. But partly, it's been successful because of how cheap delivery is. So in the U.S. and Europe, delivering a lunch, let's say, costs six to seven bucks. But the equivalent service in Indonesia or China is $1 to $2. And they've got a super efficient logistics industry that is fueled by this. And we've seen this building up Alibaba, Rakuten in Japan. There's similar companies in South Korea. Yeah. And Amazon.
1: It's a jungle out there.
0: It's a jungle out there. So the boom in this digital economy has been made possible by what some say is this huge strain on these workers, poor pay. Bad benefits, and usually they're in uh, irregular contract status. And this is drivers, stockers, delivery folks. The way you describe that is bad, but
1: I think they hit on something. Calling it the gig economy or gig
0: workers just sounds cooler. Somehow
1: has no negative. It sounds forward
0: thinking to be yeah. a gig gig economy guy. So, I mean, I guess we've been talking about future of work. What do jobs look like? Is this it? Is this what the future of work looks like?
1: I think our discussion with, with Richard Baldwin last episode was, was super interesting and it's enlightening in, in, in many ways. But on some level, I think you don't need a, a PhD or even a degree, any degree really, to see these changes happening all around you, right? All you need to do is open the door and see that your, you know, that your lunch or dinner has been delivered by some Uber Eats driver or, or whatever, any number of these other online delivery services companies to see that while most of us or many of us are at home in our comfy sweaters and whatnot, there are actually people who are delivering this to you and they're not doing as well, right? They're doing this without healthcare and things like this. Is it here to stay? I don't know. I think we're in some sort of limbo right now. So we're at a junction where regulation is not kept up. Governments have really failed to address these issues, right? So this is the cost of innovation, if you will. But we have not found a way to address these concerns. So we're living in a weird time, I think.
0: Yeah. And maybe it comes back to us as citizens and to those of the governments to start to catch up in a way. And we've seen Geneva do that with Uber drivers, for instance. So Uber Mm. drivers who practice here, perfectly legal, but they're considered employees. So this kind of thing, I guess, will become more common. But it Again, there will be competition across countries for this kind of thing. The second item we have here is an update from the tech wars. Maybe you've heard Facebook, you've heard about Alphabet, you've heard about Amazon. Now there's a Geneva company that's competing. It's called Infomaniac, and the local paper puts them up against these major platforms as a a possible company that would compete on the basis of a better management of data, so more privacy, and a more human face, so you can get services. And we've seen this also with the EU, so they're really trying to position themselves this way. And we've seen this company advertising that they're not subject to the U.S. Cloud Act, mm. so they don't have to share their data, for instance, with the with the U.S. Uh, security service. Whenever a warrant is issued, it's not like there's an automatic transfer, but if they request Correct. it, they are required to give exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. So we see this very interesting contrast now between, let's say, Chinese and American platforms that are being presented as potentially compromised. They're selling your data. They're not good on privacy. They're not human. And then you have these little companies in places like Switzerland, but also the EU as presenting itself as a place where your data is safe. And I think this competition will continue. So Mm -hmm. how, how do you see this? Because for instance, our SMEs that we work with in the developing world benefit a lot from the bigger platforms, the free, the free platforms.
1: Right, I guess it's it's that whole the whole thing about lead firms is is true in this case, and they're driving the way these companies get to market. But I think on a personal level, I think it's it's interesting. I don't know if I I forget if we've talked about this already, but there was we may have actually there was this issue of WhatsApp changing its 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 terms of service, and so I felt quite privileged to be within the Schengen zone where GDPR is in effect, and I didn't have to worry about them taking more of my data and my likes of cat photos and translating that into algorithm selling me cat sweaters for the cat I don't own, right? So I think it's competition in a way, regulatory competition. So do you want to be, as a company, known to be based in an area where you value this or this is seen to be valued more than in other areas in, say, the US, for example, where it's more of a Wild West in terms of uh, data being used? And that's actually a good lead into the next bit, which is on, on games. Game stonk Game stonk Game stonk So I had to explain to you What that was So that's not a stonk It's just a meme Of stocks
0: Yeah But you got that now I, I finally, Yeah thank but you I had to read it in the paper <laughs> But yeah I did I did get around to it in, in a physical paper Yeah 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 Nice that's yeah. A qu- How I quaint. cut the article out with scissors How quaint <laughs> Did you cut the coupons out <laughs> too I got the whole thing I got the whole thing I'm about, It's Saturday So we need to get this <sighs> thing wrapped up I gotta go use my coupons Yeah go ahead. I don't move fast Oh we know <laughs> <laughs> Yeah uh also, Elon Musk called he's buying a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin,
1: yeah, well, Bitcoin is really old, Rob. I mean, is that about the- <laughs> Dogecoin now? That's what we're in. I hope that is. Well, speaking of Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, have you heard, is leaving as CEO of Amazon. This is big news. So he's got a bit more time on his hands. He's got a bit more time, but I think that's rest in peace to our Bezos
0: Mimucho segment. I don't don't think think so. I think if he's got more time, he can come on the show. I I think we should just start subtweeting Elon. Let's do the Baldwin effect. We keep talking about it, and eventually Bezos comes on the program. (laughs) (laughs) Something tells me it's not going to happen. Well, I think don't be negative.
1: Yeah. Negative Nancy. So GameStop is a company where I used to buy my games. It was basically a brick and mortar place where you would go in and, and buy your PlayStation. Or so clearly a dying games. business. Exactly. So why
0: is it in the news now? It
1: This originated on Reddit where people got together and they realized that there was huge short selling going on on GameStop itself. And they few people realized that their number of hedge funds, one in particular, had a huge short position on GameStop itself. So they were
0: vetting GameStop would go down and eventually...
1: Exactly. And what these Redditors realized was that if they pushed the price up of GameStop, they would, uh, on one hand, make money for themselves, but also Oops. stick it to the man, yeah. hedge fund man as Bob Dylan said. And this is really where it originated. So GameStop went from a price, I think it was in the 10s or the 20s, to 400
0: and change. And both one the short point. selling and the buying are massively disentangled with the real world. So this is some sort of what appears to be a game, a political stunt. It uh, took
1: on different connotations. But at the end of the day, I think the private sector shows that it, it will find a product whenever there's a need out there. And this is the case with Robinhood. So they had a, a situation where you have young men and women with lots of time on their hands, extra stimulus checks. In the case of the I like event. video games and you're bored because of lockdown and
0: you gamify stock trading and then you've things that you saw now. So, I mean, I'm tempted by such a thing because right now financial services are too expensive, as we talked about before many times. So now we've got this thing that democratizes this thing. Maybe it goes too far to democratize very sophisticated kinds of trading. But I'm interested in this idea because obviously this kind of platform, we've talked about fintech before, we've talked about other things, provides potentially a democratizing influence. So it's not just the big wigs or the fat cats. You're just really showing your or age the big wheels. <laughs> Who, who are able to work in this, but in fact, small businesses and the little guy could do so. But Here we see behaviors that need to be regulated in a way. We see people taking their whole life savings and diving into something that's a very bad bet. I mean, it's a bit predatory in many respects. But I
1: think the example that you gave of infomaniacs also gives you an example of how this could be done better. I think there are ways around this is is the moral of the story. And again, this goes back to the, the thing where we're at a weird junction in history where things are moving so fast and regulation is struggling to keep up. And you
0: have all these innovations at the same time. There's bound to be a few eggs breaking if you will. So, the I mean, let's say the radical alternative is life without. So we're kind of looking into down the barrel of that in Australia, life without Google. That
1: was a fantastic segue. Tell Bravo. me about that.
0: Bravo. Tell me about that. So
1: Google is in a court battle uh, in a main event, which I think Don King would probably call the Thunder from Down Under. Very nice. Very nice. It's actually a, a group in Vegas. We won't get into T- that. Trademark. I saw it in Vegas once. Never again. Yeah. The thunder from Down Under. Maybe Don King came up with it. Anyway,
0: but I digress. <laughs> If Don King would like to sponsor this segment. <laughs>
2: Don King's still alive and
0: would like to sponsor this segment. I don't know. I don't I'll know. I'll Google that while you're telling about. He's probably us what counting this Mike about.
1: Tyson's yeah. money somewhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Getting a haircut.
1: Yeah, or not. Australia's proposed uh, news media legislation has seen Google threaten to shut down uh, its search engine there, which is a nuclear option. Nobody really expected. Whatever happens, I think the outcome is likely to have effects across the globe. We've been talking about this quite a bit in the last few episodes and even in 2020. And that is... What is an efficient way of putting together legislation or policy which removes all of the negative externalities of big tech, broadly speaking, and highlights and accentuates the the positive aspects of it, connecting people and so on? So in December, the government introduced this first legislation of, of its kind that would force tech giants to pay local news outlets for featuring and linking to their stories. So these tech companies have for a long time said that they're not actually publishers of news. They are, in fact, only platforms for which this news can be shared. So Google is doesn't has not liked that and has warned that this proposed new media bargaining would quote break a fundamental principle of how the web works, end quote. And threatened actually to pull its search engine from Australia. So You Google, need Google Maps for a huge desert. Is that there are not a lot of Crocodile Dundee was <laughs> unavailable for comment. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> anyway Anyway, I digress, you digress. you're doing the digressing now. This marks the first time a government has tried to systematically deal with I think the market power of big tech in, in this type of way and its influence on the media. Some have called Google's response shrill uh, and an attempt to show power uh, and uh, show power. it right? flexed their muscles and uh, and I think this also comes again at a timely moment and makes our discussion with Yang super relevant and that's is big tech too powerful what is the role for government in digital trade and trade technology more broadly and we talk about people, we'll talk about with them later on but we we touch on public private partnerships but what does that actually look like what is a, an
0: elegant solution to public private partnership yeah and i think this stacks on top of some of the things we talked about like Poland thinking about having a moderating panel that would look at Facebook and how it's behaving and whether people are on it or, or taken off it
1: exactly
0: and again where does this come into trade I think we'll hear from that all of these platforms are critical to trade that they are ways that these companies can get to market otherwise they wouldn't be able to we also hear from buyers consistently you have to be on Instagram you have to be on you know Twitter you have to be on LinkedIn in order to be present in the market. So again, this is now a kind of channel that, the, that companies and people are using that if they become disrupted or if they become paying services, or as they evolve, we'll need to be keeping an eye on.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting discussion. I mean, it's super cool to talk about. It's a bit scary when you when you dive in a bit more deeply and, and what the ramifications could be. I think on one hand, digital trade is advancing at a much much quicker pace every every day, every minute. Yet we seem to have this collective whiplash as a society. I think at just how fast these changes are happening. And so it's sort of like the frog not knowing it's being boiled to death because the temperature is increasing slowly. So I think we'll wake up one day and it'll be we'll be having our kids on. Online and delivered by Amazon Prime, same day delivery. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we'll wonder how. You don't even have to be there. <laughs> exactly. Be there. Take all the fun out of it. And we'll wonder how did this happen?
0: So let's stay tuned. Digital is, is going to be a part of communication, trade, especially if you trade a service, if you trade financial services, if you're an architect, if you do outsourcing. This podcast. All the, this podcast, for instance. If somebody's consuming this outside of Switzerland, it's a trade. There's no money, though
1: love and ki- hugs can and that kisses? be trade hugs and kisses XOXO <laughs> so we're staying tuned they pay us in likes <laughs> <laughs> Ziang David Fan is the head of digital trade at the World Economic Forum based out of San Francisco California my old job his work focuses on digital trade e-commerce cross-border data flows the sharing economy and trade technology
0: Previously, Ziang served as a senior legal counsel at Airbnb, where he helped launch Airbnb in China. He'll tell us later his favorite Airbnb experience. He also previously served as assistant general counsel at the U.S. Trade and Development Agency. Also, in keeping with recent interviewees, Ziang is an alum of the University of Wisconsin. Hashtag go Buckeyes, am I right? Bucky,
1: Bucky. Okay, sorry. I'm sure it's just a coincidence that all our interview guests are University of Wisconsin. There's amongst, just a lot I Like us. yourself. There's about 12,000 of us graduating every year. So Wisconsin is exporting something. Anyway, without further ado. (laughs) (laughs) So Ziang, thank you for joining the podcast. We're really excited to have you do some trades planning with us. Maybe let's have you tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into the field of trade? You've got an interesting background. I understand you were a lawyer previously. Which is okay which is fine we're okay with lawyers we need them every now yeah. and then so what's the journey been like how did you end up in california because you are not in geneva you are the first person we're into first non-geneva that's true yeah so how did you end up in california as the governor says.
2: Well, first, did and Rob, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Every time I go to Geneva, I feel like going home because I feel like half the people I'm meeting Geneva are trade lawyers, which is where I started. Uh, I studied international uh, trade in law school, Then after that, Chairman Sterling focused on cross-border transactions, mostly between U.S. and Asia. After that, I joined the U.S. Uh, government trade agency and focused on trade and development. And it was during those years, and actually more from a personal perspective, I noticed how important... Technologies are to our day to day lives, not just online, but also offline. So I, I was an early adopter of the sharing economy over Airbnb, et cetera. And when the opportunity came, I joined Airbnb out of Asia, moved to the Singapore, and helped Airbnb to expand their operations in the Asian markets. So uh, just tell me, what was the coolest Airbnb you ever stayed in?
0: Did you, did you get to stay in like the penthouse of Trump Towers or the Taj Mahal or Gosh. something?
2: There's some definitely cool ones, but I'll say that. Most memorable one was actually in Colombia. We stayed with the family. And I remember it was a beautiful courtyard with a hammock and a grandma. Even though she spoke zero word of English, she came out and cooked breakfast for us. And you know, we used very simple Google Translate and point and laugh. And just that, I think it's that experience what really defined uh, Airbnb for me. It's the human-to-human human connection.
0: Very cool. So it's not just the service department in the center of Copenhagen. <laughs> like <rest>
1: <laughs> So, Ziang, you're the head of digital trade based out of San Francisco, and the World Economic Forum recently came out with a report called Mapping Trade Tech. Can you maybe talk to us a little bit about this? What What is trade tech, first of all? Why is this important? Why should people be paying attention? And can you speak a bit more, a little bit to how these emerging trends are shaping tech, broadly speaking?
2: Absolutely. So, for digital trade, we take a rather broad definition. From our team, so not only e-commerce, cross-border data flows, digital payments, digital services, we, which we all have projects on and do quite a bit working in, in all those areas, but particularly a couple of years ago, when we look at emerging technologies, we want to explore how the emerging technologies are affecting trade. So. It's quite broad. I don't want folks to think that trade tech is only about AI and flying robots. It's it's literally everything. It's e-commerce, it's, it's, cool. it's um, digital payments. <laughs> it's all, all of that. If we think back, technologies have always Always enabled global trade and global trade from way back, right? We you need a compass to navigate the ship, right? And then a couple, what, five, six decades ago, containerization. That's that's trade tech. That is technology, right? Trade tech that that basically built a foundation for globalization and, and global trade. So trade tech is not new. However, what we are facing is the speed, scale, and scope in the fourth industrial revolution. The technology development are putting more pressure the global trading system and especially on policies, regulations. So we're talking about tech in a kind
0: of vague way, like could be anything. So give me an example. Like I've got a little savings and I'm thinking maybe I want to jump in at the ground floor. What's the technology I should be jumping in on? Well, like give me an example of something that's going to revolution. Trade is still slow, expensive, inefficient in many ways. Paper driven, for instance, in, in places where we work. So give me an example of something I should invest in that's going to make me bigger, than Bezos.
2: Do you know anybody at Airbnb? <laughs> As a former uh, capital market lawyer, I certainly cannot offer any investment advice. But <laughs> uh, But what's interesting is that according to our survey, you know, we asked folks, what are the technologies that will have the most impact, which was a bit surprising. So in the order of the technologies that would have most impact, IoT is number one, followed by digital payment. E commerce, cloud computing, five G. So internet Internet of things, right? This is where my Correct. fridge
0: is Correct. my fridge is gonna to talk to my
2: Correct. Customers. What it spoke to me was that initially, to be honest, I was thinking maybe some of the more emerging technologies will be number one. Like AI or, or blockchain, which are still important in there, in there, but instead it's more what we call the fundamental technologies, like IoT, digital payment, digital e-commerce, cloud, which are, which actually makes perfect, perfect sense. Because if you look at the trade tech, there are two layers. The first layer is really is the digitization process. You need to turn everything from analog into data. That's the first thing. You can have the best AI algorithm, but if you have data, you have nothing to work on. And as we know, as you just said, Rob, we are a very paper-heavy process in trade, right? So I think it's just to get from the first phase to turn those process analog process into digital process. That is the first step. That's why even the digital payments, e-commerce, digital documentation, those are quote-unquote technologies, which we also take a quite broad definition, are ranked quite high. So then if you, after that, the second layer of digitalization is to capitalize the data that we have. Then you can layer the AI machine learning. You can layer the, uh, the, the blockchain on top of that to optimize the process. Mm. So
1: I, I think this is a good segue into, into the next topic we wanted to discuss. And this is something, it's not a new topic. It's something that's, that's getting more and more prominence, and that's inequality. We talked with Richard Baldwin recently, and, and we talked specifically about COVID a lot on the podcast as an accelerant. And in his view, all of the trends that he talks about in, in, in his books over the past few years, he said this has just sped up exponentially just only in the past eight months because of COVID, because of the the ripple effects that have sped up the adoption of these technologies. On the other hand, it seems that when we're talking about jobs and the future of work and this fourth industrial revolution, that the these emerging new trade tech seems to be coming out. More and more rapidly every day, you can't really even keep up with the new and creative technologies coming out there. However, they seem to be more efficient at replacing certain kind of jobs rather than creating new ones, at least on a very superficial level. Now, my question would be, do these statistics bear this out? So can creative disruption, for example, make up for these faster and faster changes?
2: That's a great question. I actually remember Professor Baldwin giving a talk at our annual Medium New Champions in China, I think two years ago when he talked about this new trend. And I remember very clearly when I heard that presentation two, three years ago, and absolutely how things played out in the past year. So hats off to Professor Baldwin to see that uh, spot that early. And to your question, I Arden, mean, yeah, I, I think in our survey, we, we don't have specific numbers to, to show that, but I would argue it's a more complicated and more nuanced question. Uh, yes, there, I think, just give you an example, Dental aligners, right? Why do you, you wear, as or in Europe, but probably in San Francisco, you go into to a dentist's office and they scan, 3D scan your teeth. And then about a couple of weeks later, you receive a package in the mail that has all your dental aligners, one by one, right? Which are 3D printed. So you'd imagine, okay, so... I assume everything is probably printed in San Francisco or maybe at least in the U.S., but it's actually not. So according to this, one of the top 3D dental liner companies, after you do the 3D liner, 3D printing scan, they would send the, the CAD file actually to Costa Rica. For the engineers there to do the tweaking. Then it was send it back to another country in Latin America to do the printing and do the post-processing. Because apparently over 50% of the value and cost are in the post-processing. Because once you, I don't know, if you play with 3D printing, if you print it, nothing's perfect. There's bumps here and there. So you need to kind of like a polish it. So that's that's also true. And then it comes back to where you are at the final destination in the US, for example. So There's a whole loop around the world. So it actually creates jobs, both services jobs and also manufacturing jobs. So my point is that, yes, it might seem like they're replacing a lot of jobs, but also it's a bit more uh, uh, nuanced. And the last thing I will say is why right, I've been a strong advocate of just education and rescaling within an organization, which is also you need to provide incentives, right, to the mid-management, to the workers, to adopt new technologies, and also to assure that they are not just going to be replaced once they help you to onboard the new technologies. We talked in this
1: last episode that just came out about data regulation, privacy, and things like this. And One thing that's bubbled up to the surface is what is the role for government? So are there good regulations that could be put in place to benefit the types of trade tech that are emerging? And is there a way that they can speed it up and make it more efficient? Because it seems we have the private sector Who's doing a great job at coming up with these different solutions? We have a side effect of that, which is inequality within these different countries, especially in rich countries. So is there a role for government? And if so, what is it? Is it better regulation? Do we break up tech companies? If you could do one thing with, with this, what would it be?
2: I uh, we definitely believe there are roles for the government. This is actually what our center is, is based on is public and private partnership. So the projects we do, we always bring in the governments and the private sector together. And for at least for my perspective in the past years right for the governments when you look at the new technologies there's always sense of both wonder and panic okay what is this yeah. then what do we do with it <laughs> the- how do we stop it why is he <laughs> tweeting on what does this mean <laughs> and so on the one hand we don't want we don't want a no regulation and also some, so some options are either no regulation or knee-jerk reaction of something to to ban something or to, to advocate for something. And then from the tech company side, I will say maybe a while back, 10 years ago, you know, they're more thinking, we're, we're, we don't get involved in policy regulation, we're just a platform, yeah. we're just tech company, we're just providing the online services. But in the past years, as we have seen that, they definitely see the need for them to get engaged and make good regulations. So that's the case overall, but also I think in, in the tech space as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and I think on your point there, when you're we were also talking about Section two hundred and thirty briefly in the last episode, and I think even that discussion, y- you talk about not needing a knee jerk reaction, but also not having a completely laissez faire attitude. I think you're seeing that. So the, you have on one hand people who immediately said we need to repeal Section two hundred and thirty. So I think even in that discussion, you're seeing a much more nuanced approach to how we're talking about. It. It's not necessarily do away with it completely, but let's tweak it, but in an elegant manner,
2: right? And then maybe I'll jumping here just on that. Different jurisdictions, uh, different countries have different views. Uh, I think the US and the EU may not see exactly eye to eye on the Section 230 issue, different tech regulations across different jurisdictions. It's actually a challenge for the smaller players. Right. If you're a big tech company, then you can have a whole team of lawyers and policy people to, to deal with that. But if you're a small and pop, you just got online and started selling your, your crafts across the world, and now you have to deal with different laws in different jurisdictions, that's just more headache. So really, I think harmonized tech regulations globally is a, really, it's a huge challenge, but a really key as well. I think this is crystallizing further. I don't know what you think, Rob, but
1: the fact that government has always been slow at Catching up with trends in the business community. Whether you're talking about the 70s, the 30s, it's always reacting to the last war. So if I take the US as an example, Glass Steagall, 1930s, was only a response to what happened in the 20s, so on and so forth. But now the pessimist in me gets a bit worried. It's thinking things are happening so much faster nowadays. And then we look at government. And not to say the government is the problem, but it's already slow to react to begin with by its nature. Is it right to be pessimistic? Do you think is there hope? Will it be too late by the time they do
2: catch up? I think it's definitely a big challenge, but we, we have to try that, and that's why I do. What I do now is I am really believing that we need to bring the private sector and public sector together. We've been talking about PPP, right, public-private partnership, for many decades now. It's nothing new, but I think right now it's is absolute need. The government is needed expertise and technologies, know-how from the private side, and private side needs to work with the government in working out a solution, a best solution. That's the only way to address the question you pose, because otherwise we take three years to pass a law through the department and everything. By that time, technology has changed into a totally different format. Yeah.
1: So you are based in the World Economic Forum offices in, in San Francisco, rather than at HQ here in good old Geneva. So I guess yeah. everybody wants to know, what is Mark Zuckerberg like? <laughs> who's, who, who's
2: cooler, him or Jack Dorsey of Twitter? Would in the street fight <laughs> at the park, but uh, I know uh, in my neighborhood there's an Italian restaurant apparently that turned out to be his one of his favorite restaurants. And uh, during the pandemic, he gave money to I think about six or something like six or ten restaurants in the city to keep them alive. And the Italian restaurant was one of them. So maybe next time I go there, I'll see, I'll see him sitting there. So you kind of do know
0: him a little way.
2: <laughs> you called him Mark. You, you're not yeah, telling us go. something. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So in San Francisco, you probably don't – I mean, they don't have cars or anything there. I guess everybody – goes around on like pogo sticks and stuff so yeah, do you have a bike and it it's called the segway rob sorry whatever it is
2: called the segway takes <laughs> you there i'm not good on technology before the pandemic there are definitely a lot of the scooters and also those electronic skateboards quite a bit oh. of them on the road if especially in the downtown and we are in the typical tech outfit but one thing no 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 flying segways yet but i know there's companies uh that are working on passenger drones and have you had a drone stolen or i don't know <laughs> <laughs> or, or
0: have you had, I mean, it's normally where we ask, you know, because of one of the features of Geneva life is getting your bike stolen. How
2: about San Francisco? Have you had a bike stolen? It's also getting more common here. Yeah. So yeah. I guess that's one shared characteristic of the two cities. Yeah. And we don't know where they're all going. We don't, we don't. Yeah. Folks, when they lose a bike, they usually go to a Craigslist to see if there's any bikes for sale. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes and find their uh, bike. <laughs> there have been some, quite a bit of a, quite a few uh, success stories where they found their bikes and Craigslist. That's oh
0: fantastic. So there's a platform for that too.
1: There's a platform for everything.
0: <laughs> Get your bike unstolen. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously the, the national food of Switzerland is kebab. And really there's only two types of edible kebab here in Geneva. And really the only one you'd want to go to would be
2: that's a leading question (laughs) i have to confess i'm not familiar with the kebab culture in geneva usually when i go i just go to i think migas is that the name of the supermarket Migro, right. Migro, yeah. Yeah, and just bought, uh, buy a bunch of stuff there and uh, just end up overdosing chocolate. <laughs> okay. Okay. That works. <laughs> so it's ting, ting, a, ting, 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 ting. That's also a good way to go. <laughs> <laughs> this well, works. that answers our next
1: question, Migros or Koa. But actually, we'll, we're going to take an opportunity. The last question we'll ask will be uh, a U.S. flavored one because God knows we don't talk about the U.S. enough on this podcast. We don't talk about the U.S. at all. Trader Joe's or Whole Foods? Trader Joe's. He didn't even Bang. think about
0: that they one. They did not waver. Okay. Bezos me, not mucho. Sorry, Whole Foods. <laughs> Whole Foods.
2: Uh, it's Amazon. Yeah.
0: I've never been to either one of those chains. I went to the AP. ANP. ANP, excuse
2: me. <laughs> ANP. I think recently during the pandemic, you want to spend as little time in the supermarket as possible, right? And Trader is just so efficient. You basically just follow the route, boom, boom, boom. You're in and out. You don't have to go from eye to eye, look for things. It's basically everything just you follow the route in and out in a very short period of time. So very efficient.
0: Anyway, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, Xiang Fan it's an important topic we've started 21 with digital trade and and i've learned a lot in the conversation we should ask you where can people find you where can they go to hear more uh, of what you're talking about and to see the the research you've discussed today
2: it's been a pleasure Uh, trade tech is here to stay there's no question you can find me on the forum's website and i'm mostly uh, active on linkedin so you can find me on linkedin
1: okay very cool ziyang thank you for doing some trades planning with us
2: thanks it's a pleasure
0: Well, Artie, it's time for This Week in Local News. You wouldn't believe this was true unless you lived in Geneva. Can I just interrupt for one second?
1: Because I have something I need to get off my chest. I know this is your thing. You're really into reading the paper, touching the ink and all that. Mike Pence is starting his own podcast. Did you know this? No. Uh, This really grinds my gears. First, the Markles start one, and now this. I mean, I was going to do a 12-minute rant, but I'll keep it short. I mean, I'm just infuriated. What's he going to talk about? He was vice president. Just go retire, play golf. Now he's just trying to crush our dreams. First, it was big oil... Then it was big tobacco, then it was big tech, and now it's just big
0: podcasting, just crushing the dreams of these artisanal. But consumers sm- want artisanal. They want independent. They want us. Exactly. We are the craft beer of podcasting. That's correct. That's uh, even even further, we're not commercial. And remember folks, listen responsibly. Thank you very Ting. Anyway, good luck, Mike. Not and Mike, if you want to come on the broadcast, we will have you on. We would, no? I would, yeah. Why not? I'm open. All right, let's move on. It is this week in Geneva, a very worrying development we've been discussing. I know Bigger you're... than Mike Pence starting a podcast? Very big. Huge, with a Y. Many fewer ducks were sighted on Lake Geneva this winter, and oh. it's been the same in Lausanne. Only 33,000, down from a, a maximum of 54,000 back in 2018. That's a lot of ducks. So the Lac de Neuchâtel, up north there is getting all the ducks. They're seeing huge growth. I'm reading about it. There are reasons. There's too many people. Lakes are freezing less. Return of certain food service. I'm just pissed off. I, I heard I heard a rumor, I don't know
1: if it's true, that the ducks in Neuchâtel, who have been there for half a generation already, they're actually considering building a wall between <laughs> Neuchâtel and Lake Geneva. Because I thought it might be due to tax
0: policy. They got, they got lower and taxes They even have a there. slogan,
1: quack the wall,
0: quack <laughs> the wall, quack the wall. I mean, we need to keep our eye on this thing. Yeah. I think it's a huge. Maybe we should just reduce taxes. I, I'm thinking if we can maybe create incentives, more popcorn. Hashtag race to the bottom. That's us right now. Well, it's a it's a net positive for Geneva because there's less. Duck flies. Duck fleas. Oh duck fleas, you're right. This could have a knock on it. What's the French word? Pistecana. Yeah. Okay. Less of those. Yeah, there would be that's true. Less duck fleas. It could change mm. summer in Geneva entirely.
1: It could really oxygenate the environment, the innovation ecosystem, maybe in different ducks would, would come New out. New ducks, rare ducks. New ducks. Quack the wall.
0: I think I'm gonna put it. Put it on a the nurse on hotel the hat. side. Put it on a hat. <laughs> <laughs> right now there is freedom of movement between and uh, Lac de Lausanne. Oh. Maybe this yeah. for now. Maybe this needs to be corrected, and yeah. also there's no Lac de lausanne sorry Ren- renegotiate that
1: it's our lake Lausanne <laughs> it's ours, it's no Lac de Lausanne, there's no Lac de Geneva either yes, there is it's called Lac Léman. no, that's what the French call it. everybody calls it Lake Geneva, who everyone, my parents you talk
0: about Wisconsin, Lake Geneva, no, yeah, that's the nice o g lake Geneva, Lac Lemont, <laughs> fresh. Also, I think we need to talk about a uniquely Geneva crime that occurred recently. Two men attempted to cross the border with 20 kilograms of a dangerous substance. Cocaine? Weapons? No, more dangerous than that, Artie. Meat. Stopped once, they refused to pay the tax, turned around, tried another border crossing. Very persistent, stopped again, they turned around, and these hardened criminals tried a different tactic. One sat in the back of a bus while the other drove across the border, where and I must say, intrepid customs patrol got them for the final time. The meat was confiscated, ensuring Co-op and Migro are free to continue overcharging us. That's the way we like it. That's, there's only those two. They must have spent like half a day figuring out how to get, who buys 20 kilos of meat? It's not that much meat. (laughs) It's... Forty pounds of meat. I wonder if it was good, especially good. Maybe it was incredibly. Maybe it was duck meat. Yeah, the Neuchâtel duck that flew over in France. The best. (laughs) Hashtag quack the wall. So I think we can all rest easy. The border patrol is there for us. Customs is stopping foreign meat from entering this market. I guess we can all rest easy. Go back to. Doing what we were doing before,
1: which is ordering from Amazon friends.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> ordering to a friend coming over in dark of night with our frozen turkeys. So that's it for local news, Artie. We'll keep our fingers on the pulse.
1: Uh, there's a lot of stuff to make you angry this week. <laughs>
0: there's a lot out there. Well, folks, that about wraps up this week's episode. We'd like to thank our guest, Xiang Fan, for joining us and discussing all things tech and trade and sharing with us his best Airbnb experience. It's about the people. It's about the experiences also don't forget to download this episode if you
1: haven't already and subscribe to make sure you catch our next episode coming out very very soon we're going to be trying to pump out as many episodes as we can to keep up with demand from listeners Also, feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if that's your thing. Don't be lazy, because I know if you can leave a review on TripAdvisor about that cold chicken teriyaki you ordered last Sunday, you can leave a review and write us some love-slash-hate reviews or mail. And don't listen to Pence. Yeah. Anyway, we've got a really exciting number of interview guests lined up, and I'm sure you won't want to miss them. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram or email us at trade.splaining at gmail.com. And folks, we promise to
0: use more apostrophes in all of our written communications.
1: Or not. Good night, folks. Memes. The memes. We're going to be using many more memes. Many more memes. Anyway, stay classy, everyone.
2: Hashtag listen responsibly.